All right. Hey, before we get into our message tonight, you will find these half sheets of paper over there by that round thing around that pillar there as you come in. This is one of our little fundraisers that we're doing for our building. Uh, Megan King put this together. It's this coming Sunday, really all day from 10 a.m. to the, when they open to 11 p.m. at night at the Panda Express at Gilbert and the 202. If you go in and you give them this, so much of your uh, bill will go towards our building fund. So anyway, those are over there. You can pick one up and let yourself know about that. We are down to the last three chapters of Zechariah. And tonight, uh, God really takes a turn into the future and wants to remind Israel about its future destiny that he has planned for them. And the reason he wants to do that is, again, to encourage them in the, in the battles and challenges and trials that they're going through now. Remember, they are still in the process of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after the exile and all of that. And there's a lot of discouragement in the, in the camp and a lot of distraction going on. And God is trying to get his people refocused and reinvigorated to, to get busy doing the work of the Lord. Um, and so he wants to remind them about this glorious future that he has planned for them as a way to inspire and motivate them in the present. In a sense, God does the same thing with us today, does he not? When he reminds us about the glorious future. In fact, we're going to talk about that Sunday out of the book of Romans that God has awaiting us uh, in heaven with him. And he wants that glorious uh, future to be an inspiration and motivation to our everyday living. In fact, even we saw that last Sunday when we went into 1 Corinthians 15 there at the end of the message, reminding ourselves about the resurrection body that we're going to get and how God is going to change our mortal bodies into an immortal body and how that fact alone should inspire us in our mortal bodies to give our all to the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. So what God is going to do through the prophet Zechariah tonight is a couple things. First of all, this is all about Israel and it's all about the future. And it's going to be God reminding his people that I'm going to physically deliver you because all the nations of the world, especially those nations right around you, are going to come against you in the last days. God promises his people that. But he says, I will keep you through that time. We call that time in the Bible and prophecy the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period that happens after the rapture. But God does more than that in chapter 12. He also reminds his people that I'm not only going to physically deliver you, I'm going to spiritually deliver you. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you in the last days, and you're going to recognize Jesus as your Messiah, as a nation. Now, we know today and throughout history that there have been individual Jewish people that have come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And I tell people, you ever want to see somebody on fire for God? Talk to a Jew who comes to grasp that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. You won't find anyone who's more on fire for God than someone like that. But as a nation, as an entire nation, they have never acknowledged or accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, but they are going to one day. 
And God's going to talk to his people about that great day. Before we get to that, though, I start with this. If I had to entitle even these last three chapters, I I would entitle them, What a Difference a Day Makes. What a difference a day makes. History can pivot on a day. I, I mean, our lives, lives, can change in a day. A day can change so much. And so what God wants to do in chapter 12, 13, and 14 is to remind His people what a difference a day makes. Now to show you this as we begin tonight, look first at chapter 14 and verse 1, where the prophet Zechariah says, A day of the Lord is about to come. You see, Right now, we are living in basically God allowing man to have his day, our time, to do whatever we want to do. But God is going to very dramatically intervene in human history. And his day is going to come where he finally says, enough is enough. Man, you've had your chance and all you've done is mess everything up, now it's my turn, and I'm coming, you see. And so Zechariah is reminding the people of God, a day of the Lord is about to come. And now I want to begin in chapter 12, and I want to show you, because when something is emphasized in the Bible, God obviously does it for a reason. He wants it to really sink in. So I want you to begin following with me. There's a phrase that is used at least 16 times in these three chapters. And it is the phrase, on that day or in that day. And I want you to see that phrase, how often it is used in these three chapters. Beginning in chapter 12, verse 3. On that day, I'll make Jerusalem. Then look at verse 4 of chapter 12. On that day. Then look at verse 6. On that day I will make the leaders. Verse 8 of chapter 12. On that day the Lord Himself. Verse 9. On that day I will set out to destroy. Verse 11 of chapter 12. On that day the lamentation in Jerusalem. Then if you go into chapter 13, verse 1. In that day there will be a fountain open. Verse 2. Also on that day, says the Lord who rules over all. Then if you go down to chapter 13, verse 4. Therefore on that day each prophet... Then if you go over to chapter 14, look at verse 4. On that day his feet will stand. Look at verse uh, 6. On that day there will be uh, no more light. Then look at verse 8. Moreover, on that day living waters will flow. Verse 9 of chapter 14. In that day the Lord will be seen as one. Verse 13 of chapter 14. On that day there will be a great confusion from the Lord among them. On and on and on. Look at verse 20. On that day, the bells of the horses. And then finally, the very last verse, on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. And then if you just go back to verse 7 of chapter 14, notice it will happen In one day, a day known to the Lord, not in the day or in the night, but in the evening there will be light. In other words, a a unique day, a day unlike any 
in human history. Now you've seen that pattern right throughout these three chapters. And what God is saying to his people through the prophet Zechariah is what a difference a day makes. A day. 24 hours. And God is going to turn, in a sense, the world upside down in one day. Now, if God can do that, then you and I should take encouragement and heart from that. If God can, in a sense, turn the whole world around in a day and change everything on earth in a day, then why are we concerned or fretting or anxious about what God could do in our lives or in the lives of others? He's a big God. He's a great God. And and Zechariah wants his people to see that. So then if you go back to chapter 12, after that, God is going to say, look, I am going to give you a revelation of the word of the Lord concerning a restored Israel. That's chapter 12, verse 1. Again, this is not about the church anymore. The church is gone. The church has been raptured. This is all about now God turning his attention to his people, the nation of Israel, during the seven-year tribulation time. And God is saying to his people, first of all, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to shield you. And even though all three of these chapters we're going to look at as we end our study of Zechariah is all about God specifically talking to his people Israel, there's a lot that you and I can apply to our Christian life today. I mean, first of all, we could apply the fact that what a difference a day makes. Which is why God encourages us to wake up every day with the, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And to seize the day, and seize the opportunities of every day. Every day can make an, an eternal difference in our lives and in the lives of others. What a difference a day makes. And maybe even today has made a difference. Maybe tomorrow will make a difference. But every day can make a difference in our lives and others. Because we are connected with the Lord of history. And God can do so much much, even in just one day. But notice he says here, he begins by reminding his people again of his greatness before he ever gets into the specifics of actually how he's going to deliver them and and defend them and protect them. Why does God do that? Because God wants us to understand if I'm promising you something, it's because I can deliver on those promises because I'm the almighty God. Promises are only as good as the people who make them. And God is reminding His people, I'm God. Everything I have promised, I can fulfill and I can carry out and I can execute and I can make happen. Because, notice what He says, I am the Lord who stretches out the heavens. I am the Lord that laid the foundations of the earth. I am the Lord who formed the human spirit within a person. I'm the Lord who made you and me out of the dust of the ground. And God is saying to his people, if I can do that, if I can change the history of the world in a day, then what else can I not do? Is there anything too hard or too difficult for me? So now God begins to go into specifics. Here's what I'm going to do in the last days. I am about, verse 2, to make Jerusalem a cup that brings dizziness to all the surrounding nations. God is basically saying... The world becomes intoxicated, if you will, with Jerusalem and Israel. And we even see that. 
there's this, maybe, you know, you and I as Gentiles, you know, what's the big deal? Why is, why is always their focus on Jerusalem and all these different world religions vying for Jerusalem and, and places of worship within Jerusalem? And why is there all this fighting over this particular land? Because God has made Jerusalem and that, that area of the world uh, sort of intoxicating to the nations of the world. But notice what he says. He's comparing Jerusalem especially to sort of this cup of of wine or alcohol. And he says that as the nations try to partake of this area, they start reeling and and they start acting a a little dizzy, if you will, because they can't really wrap their their arms around it. It, It's always elusive. It's like they can't get their hands on it, if if you will. It's, It's frustrating. Because God is going to say here, hands off my people. I'm I'm only going to let so much happen to my land and my people and my Jerusalem. It's mine, God is saying. And I will defend it and I will protect it and I will do so even with the people in there. Notice he says, Judah will also be included when Jerusalem is besieged. You see, in the last days, during the tribulation, nations of the world will surround Jerusalem and surround Israel and come to battle. We call that battle in prophecy the battle of Armageddon. Then God says, verse 3, Moreover, on that day, I will make Jerusalem, though, a heavy burden, literally hard to lift. You may want it, but it's going to be real difficult for you. It's not going to be easy to get your hands on this part of the world. For all the nations and all who try to carry it will be seriously injured. The word means gash, cut up, lacerated. In other words, they're going to hurt themselves by trying to, you know, take Jerusalem and take Israel. It's not going to go well for the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. Because God has promised, I'm going to protect you. And remember... I'm the God who stretched out the heavens. I'm the God that laid the foundations of the earth. I'm the God that formed the spirit within man. If I can do that, I can do this. And for us, we should say as God's people today, if God can do that, then he can watch over me. He can can take care of me. He can protect me. He can defend me. Because he's going to with his people Israel in the days to come. Notice he goes on to say that all the peoples of the earth will be assembled against it, the end of verse 3. But on that day, says the Lord, I will strike even every horse with confusion or bewilderment. You ever been on a horse that was spooked? (laughs) That's not pleasant. I've been on several horses and went horseback riding in, in my life. I've only been on one that was spooked. And I tell you, it almost discouraged me from ever getting back on a horse again. That's not fun to be on a horse that is spooked. And then God says, I will even strike its rider with madness, literally helpless panic. I will pay close attention. I will be extremely observant to the house of Judah. I got my eye on you. Because remember he said, my people are the apple of my eye. And I will strike all the horses of the nations even with blindness. Now, God can do this because as we've seen throughout the book of Zechariah, one of the other phrases that describes our Lord is He's the Lord of hosts or the Lord who rules over all. And God here is showing, again, His people, I've got everything at my disposal. I'll, I, can, I can strike horses. 
I can strike the people who ride the horses. I can, I can do whatever works because I'm God and everything on earth and everything in the universe is at my disposal. And I can change the, the uh, way a battle's going instantly if I want to. You see. And God wants us to be reminded of that as well. Again, so that we will be encouraged and not lose heart. Now, again, as we've seen throughout the, the book of Zechariah, God not only wants to deliver and protect and defend His people and give them victory, but He wants to use them as part of the victory. He wants them to participate in the victory. He wants them to share in the victory just as He does us. God is saying, I want to build my church and have the gates of hell not prevail against it. So God then gives each of us in this age the opportunity to be part of that victory. Part of that spiritual victory as God's people and church marches forward. God wants to do the same thing. Even though God is going to be the ultimate warrior and conqueror, Of those who come against Jerusalem and Israel, God wants to use His people to accomplish it as well. So notice what He says in verse 5. Then the leaders of Judah will say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are a means of strength or strong support. You see. And it is through their God, the Lord who rules over all. They're going to be a force, the people within Jerusalem, to be reckoned with. And the people of Judah that surround them are going to go, wow, we need to join forces with them because, man, God is with them. And they're a a force. God is using them. And they recognize that God is with them. And then notice what God goes on to say through the prophet Zechariah, verse 5. On that day I will make the leaders of Judah like an igniter among sticks, like hot coals among sticks. I'll make them like burning fiery torches among sheaves. And they will burn up the surrounding nations right and left. God is showing that His people with His power and and His might and His light are going to be this conquering power that defeats the enemies of God that surround them. I love that illustration. Because you know what? God wants to do the same thing with you and I today. He wants to make us hot coals among sticks. He wants to make us flaming torches among sheaves. He wants us to burn and to shine as a light. And He wants to use us to make an influence and impact in the world in which we live in a spiritual sense. Then the people of Jerusalem, finally, He says there in verse 6, will finally settle or literally sit down once more in their place, the city of Jerusalem. Because that's, that's God's intent. Not, not that they're at war all the time and having to go through battles, but that actually they can settle and they can be at rest and they can sit down. That's what God ultimately wants. Now sometimes you and I have to be willing to go through the battles in order to sit down and settle and rest. But God won't always, doesn't always want His people to be fighting battles. Ultimately, He wants us to be settled to be at rest with Him in the place that He has called us to. Then notice verse 7. The Lord also will deliver, spare in battle, the homes of Judah first, so that the splendor, the greatness and beauty of the kingship of David and of the people of Jerusalem may not exceed that of Judah. What's God saying? He's basically saying, I don't want the home 
of the king to be any greater in splendor than the home of everyone else. I want all the homes in Israel and all the homes of Judah to shine and, and be beautiful in their own way. And then he says this, on that day, verse 8, the Lord Himself will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's the only defender we ever need, is God Himself. And again, we can apply this to us. God Himself will defend us, you see. And so, God wants again to encourage His people with this. So that, I love this, so that the weak, weakest, the most feeble and frail among them will be like mighty David. And the dynasty of David will be like God. Meaning, they will have supernatural ability. And, the, and like the angel of the Lord before them. Don't miss what God is saying there. He's saying, because he's saying this to us too, because just like some of his Jewish people that are his people, there are people even within the church and even Christians today that go, I'm nobody. I'm feeble and I'm frail and I'm weak and I'm just this little person and I'm very insignificant. And God wants each one of us to see that with him, we can be mighty. Just like David. Because God loves to work through the weak. That's why God gave the little shepherd boy David a victory over big Goliath. Because he wanted to show his people throughout all the ages. All of you are insignificant compared to me. But with me, none of you are insignificant. All of you can be mighty. One of you can be an army with me, you see. And so I don't want anyone here tonight to think of yourself as just little old me, feeble and frail and weak, and how could God use me, and, and in what way could God do anything great through me? That's exactly who God wants to work through. That's who God exactly likes to work through. So that people don't look at the human instrument and go, well, it's because of them that the victory was achieved. No, no. It's because of God that the victory was achieved. And I love that. The dynasty of David will be like God. Meaning, supernatural ability. Folks, God has given His church, His people, supernatural ability. As we've been talking about on Sunday, we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us at all times to empower us. We've been given spiritual, supernatural gifts from God. The weapons of our warfare, God says to the Corinthians, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There is nothing that can stand before the people of God. And we must see ourselves that way. Just as God wants His people to see themselves that way in the days to come. And then God says, so that on that day, I will set out to destroy, to overthrow all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So in the first nine verses of chapter 12, God is reminding His people, what a difference a day makes. 
And one day is coming when, yes, it's going to look very bleak for you. The nations of the world are going to surround you. But I'm going to deliver you. And you can hold to that promise because I'm the God that stretched out the heavens, that laid the foundations of the earth, that put that spirit within you. And you will be mighty through me. And you will defeat all the enemies that come against you. And if we left it right there, that'd be great. But God never wants to provide simply physical deliverance. Physical safety. Because that would mean nothing to God if there's not a relationship there. If God can save us physically or even heal us physically, but we don't, we don't know Him as our Savior and we don't walk with Him and have fellowship with Him, then there's still much more missing than there was gained through the physical healing or, or physical deliverance that God provides. And God feels the same way about His people, the Jews. God is promising, yes, I will physically deliver you, but I'm also going to spiritually deliver you, and I'm going to turn your hearts towards Me one day. Notice what He says beginning in verse twelve or 10. I will pour out on the kingship of David and the population of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look to me, the one they have pierced. Whoa. Notice how God does it. I think it's saying he's going to pour out his spirit in a very special way in the last days. Isn't this what the prophet Joel says? Let me read these verses to you quickly out of Joel if I can get there quickly. God says, After all this, Joel 2.28, I will pour out My Spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your elderly will have revelatory dreams. Your young men will see prophetic visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. I will produce portents both in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sunlight will be turned to darkness and the moon to the color of blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and terrible day. It will so happen that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who survive. Just as the Lord has promised, the remnant will be those whom the Lord will call. Pouring out His Spirit. The only way God ever can open up the eyes of the spiritually blind, the only way God can open up the hearts of the spiritually hardened is for God to pour out His Spirit And that's why it's even so important today that we welcome the pouring out of God's Spirit upon us in our lives and in our churches. Because the only way God's going to move and work is for us to have an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon us. It is something we should pray for, something we should seek in our own lives, for God's Spirit to just simply be poured out upon us so that we could truly see the Lord. Because notice what he goes on to say, As I pour out my Spirit of grace of favor and blessing, of understanding my goodness, because it's nothing that you can do. It's what I have done by pouring out my Spirit. The goodness of God leads men to repentance, Paul says. Then I give them the enablement so that they will, here's the three key words, look to me. That they will finally show regard to me. That they will finally pay attention to me. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit will do. It it refocuses us. It gets us to look to God, to pay attention to God, to show regard to God. That's what God wants to do today. He wants to pour out His Spirit so that we will 
prioritize God so that we will start paying more attention to Him and show Him more regard and look to Him. And looking to God has always been the way of deliverance and salvation, even spiritually. Those three words are key. You see that principle throughout the entire Bible. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet says, from God to his people. God says, I have no peer. There is no God besides me. So look to me for deliverance. Isaiah 45, verse 22, I think. Uh, Don't quote me on that. I think it's 45, 22. Then God goes on to say, again, I have no peer. There is no other God. Look to me. Remember the story of the fiery serpents in the book of Numbers? When God's people in the wilderness kept griping and moaning and complaining about everything, and God finally said, I've had enough, and He sends these fiery serpents into their midst, and many people were dying. And the people started to cry out to Moses, Moses, help us in some way. And so Moses interceded and talked to God about it, and God said, here's what I'll do. Because when God allows a curse, God always also gives something to reverse that curse and to save from that curse, just as he did Jesus. And so God said, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make this this bronze serpent, and I want you to lift it up in the camp. And anyone who what? Who looks upon it. That's all they have to do is look upon it. They will be healed instantaneously. That bronze serpent is sufficient. It is sure. It is simple. Anyone can look. Anyone can look. And when they looked, they were healed instantaneously. And Jesus picks up on that very story and says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be what? Lifted up. So that people can look to me. So that I can deliver them and save them and rescue them. That's what God is saying here. I will pour out my Spirit to enable them to look to me. If you get nothing else out of tonight, get those three words. God wants His people to always be looking to Him. Always. Always. That's what it's all about. And then, notice this though. As they look to Him, guess what's going to happen? the realization of what they have done. Because part of the healing spiritually that needs to take place is an acknowledgement of sin. Repentance. And notice what it says. They are going to look to Him and realize they are looking upon the one that they have pierced. Literally the one that has been run through. They're going to see when Jesus comes back the scars that He still carries and will carry throughout eternity. And notice what happens when they do that. They will lament. They will mourn grievously for Him as one laments for an only son. There will be bitter cry and intense grieving for Him like the bitter cry for a firstborn. On that day, the lamentation, the sorrow, the contrition, the regret in Jerusalem will be as great as the lamentation of Hadad Rimnon in the plain of Megiddo. I believe that that's talking about the day that the great King Josiah died and the nation was just broken. The entire land, verse 12, will mourn clan by clan 
the clan of the royal household of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the clan of the families of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the clan of the descendants of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, and the clan of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves, all the clans that remain, each separately with their own wives. Basically, national mourning is going to take place. Because as a nation, they're going to realize, oh my goodness, we crucified our Messiah. And we have rejected him all these years. Can you imagine? You see, before God can bring healing and cleansing into our life, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. There has to be repentance. And that's what you see taking place here. God is going to deliver his people. He promises them that. But God does so so that they will spiritually also be delivered and so that their heart will change towards Him. And in the last days, He's going to pour out His Spirit during the tribulation period. And many, many, many Jews in restored nation of Israel are going to look to Him and they're going to be saved and they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And I'm going to end with this tonight, but we're going to begin with this next week. It doesn't end there because... Though that there must be an acknowledgement of sin and there must be repentance, there also must be then healing and cleansing. And notice chapter 13, verse 1. One of my favorite verses. Also in that day, there will be a fountain opened up for the dynasty of David and the people of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Literally, a fountain will be opened. A waterfall is literally what it means. It's going to be opened in the last days and it's going to gush forth and it's going to provide cleansing for the people of God because God is always the source of life. He's the source of physical life and He is the source of spiritual life. And the cool thing we're going to see at the beginning of next week is this fountain is something that will exist throughout eternity. It is found not only here in Zechariah, but it is found in the book of Revelation. And it is something that I think you and I will partake of as well. Not so much for cleansing at that point, but just as a source of refreshment and renewal and life throughout eternity. You see, even there, even in our glorified bodies, God is still reminding us we've still got to go to Him. We can never live independently of Him, even in a glorified state. It all depends and relies upon Him. And He wants us to understand we come to Him for that refreshment and for that life that comes from the fountain that is opened up in that day. William Cowper, many hundreds of years ago, wrote a great hymn of the faith. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The prophet Isaiah said, Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, but the blood of Jesus can wash us white as snow. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being such a great and good and gracious God. A God that can change everything in a day. A God that promises and makes all promises to us, reminding us that you are a God that can fulfill all promises because you are the God that stretched out the heavens, that laid the foundations of the earth, and that formed the Spirit within each of us. That you have no peer. That there is no God but you. And all you ask of us 
your people down through the ages is that we would look to you. That we would show regard, that we would pay attention, that we would understand you are our source of life, both physically and spiritually. That you are our source for everything. And that, God, you want to open up a fountain even in our lives. And, God, you have for us. We have learned through our study of the Holy Spirit that you have placed a a living fountain of water within us through your Holy Spirit that literally is bubbling up and gushing up within us as believers every day. Oh, that we would come to the fountain and drink from the fountain of the living water of the Holy Spirit. That we would be renewed and refreshed every day through the Spirit of God. Because God, we understand that when your Spirit truly is pouring out in our lives, what a difference that makes. What a difference that day can make. And so God, encourage your people, the church today, that even though what we have talked about tonight may be far into the future as far as its realization and it deals with the nation of Israel and with the Jewish people, that God, it has much application for us as well. And so God, use these last couple chapters and these last couple weeks in this great prophet Zechariah to encourage your people here at the Oasis on Wednesday nights. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday.